and welcome to New Day, New Movie, where we watch 365 movies in 365 days. I'm Mitch. And I'm Scott. And welcome, welcome to our Halloween episode. Spectacular. <laughs> our hey. first ever episode, Halloween special. In the spirit of the season, we watched seven horror movies this week. Yeah, and we picked uh, some genres of horror or types of horror. Yeah, a theme, a theme to each day to kind of diversify watching so many horror movies back to back. Yeah, there's a lot of horror movies out right now. It's kind of surprising. Yeah, well, it's Halloween. <laughs> That's true. I'm just saying, like, I think something interesting is when you go on to any streaming platform, like, 95% of the movies seem to be, like, horror-themed. Oh, yeah. We are definitely at the mercy of the algorithms. Completely, because Hulu, Netflix, they're all just pushing Halloween, which is great for us, at least for this first week of podcasting, but it's definitely going to be a challenge, I think, finding some movies outside of that genre moving forward, unless November they switch to all Thanksgiving movies. Do they have Thanksgiving movies? Guess we'll find out in November. I guess so. I feel like Thanksgiving movies is just when they start doing Christmas movies, and then we're going to have two months worth of trying to sift through Christmas movies. Oh, yes. So what's the holiday after that that they would push? Yeah. Well, we'll find out, but for now, yeah, we've got seven Halloween movies to talk about. Yeah, and they're, like you said, all themed based off of, I guess, what we decided was a theme. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we picked a classic horror movie, super classic in this case, yes. 1922. We picked a, a modern day horror movie, a B horror movie, a cult horror movie, not a cult classic. Yeah, I don't know if I'd define it as a cult classic. I don't think, I, yeah, just a cult. Yeah, I think. We'll talk about that. Yeah, there definitely That's is. Uh, <laughs> I think there's definitely uh, a group of people who probably worship this movie. <laughs> I don't know if I want to think about that. You'll find out soon. <laughs> and we picked an original and a remake, which turned out to be a sequel, but that worked out for the best for us, I think. Yeah, it was a pleasant surprise. But again, another, I think, thing to discuss when we get to Saturday and Sunday of our movie watching week. Yeah. But uh, we started the week off with a Halloween tradition of ours, which will be the only movie that we watched that we have already seen. And that movie is Hellfest. Before we get too far, I don't want to like throw that on us that it's the only movie we'll ever like. There's some movies that we love that we might want to discuss. Okay, sure. Maybe on the day they were released, but for the, the I would few. say like 99% of the movies we watch on this podcast will be movies we have never seen before. Sure. And like in a situation like this with Halloween, there's probably a Christmas movie or two that will, you know. Maybe like Jingle All the Way or oh something. Oh my God, that's I know, my I knew that favorite was <laughs> Christmas movie. I knew that would get you. And there's uh, there's just so many sound bites. So yeah, so our, our goal is to 99% of the time find movies that we haven't already seen. But uh, we may make some exceptions. Like this one, in this case, every year since 2018 when it released, we have watched in the Halloween season... Hellfest. Yeah, and what a movie Hellfest is. <laughs> I think there's obviously a reason we continue to watch it every year. Yeah, I don't we we just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it was probably one of just our best theater experiences because I think we had the theater to ourselves oh, and we yeah. were just able to just chat and enjoy it. Kind of more of like on a couch situation, but at the theater. So 
But yeah, let's uh, give a little recap as to what Hellfest is for those of you who haven't seen it. So uh, Hellfest is essentially a mass serial killer who turns a horror-themed amusement park into his own personal playground, terrorizing a group of friends while the rest of the patrons believe that it is all part of the show. That about sums it up. Yeah. This is a, a horror-themed a traveling amusement park that would never exist in the real world because no one, I feel like, would take on that kind of liability, which there's even a quote in the movie that they have to sign a waiver. And I think one of them says, oh, because liability is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, this park wouldn't wouldn't exist. I don't know if it couldn't exist. I mean, there's like, you With know, haunted houses and sure. And like paid actors. Like, I think a lot of the liability falls more on like the attractions that are there versus like people who are coming into the park. True. But I guess when you have a serial killer walking around, you know, I guess you don't really plan for that. I mean, do they, I, I'm going to be honest. I haven't been to many haunted houses in my life. It's just not my thing, but do they throw stuff on you and, and pick you up and take you away and put you in places? And like, is there that much interaction in a haunted house in real life? So I can't speak for every haunted house. I'd say for the majority of the ones that I've been to, obviously you sign a waiver for like, if you get stared, fall down and break, sure. like break your foot. My sister broke her foot at a haunted house. Actually, <laughs> she was running away from a guy with a chainsaw and she fell and broke her foot. So, but he didn't touch her, right? No, there's no like <laughs> physical touching, but I, I think there's always the rumor. Uh, we live in Colorado. So there's a haunted house here called the 13th floor. And there's always rumors about that haunted house. I've never been actually, but I remember I just back in high school, they were talking about, you had to sign a waiver. You had to be 18. They were allowed to grab you, throw spiders on you, things like that. Again, could all be rumors just based around it. Cause I've never actually been. However, I guess if you sign a paper saying, yeah, go ahead and do it, can't really get mad at them. But some people, yeah, they definitely get the thrill out of that. So this is plausible to me that if there were this traveling kind of haunted house attraction, right? Like it seems plausible that somebody who is sick and sadistic enough to enter there could find a way to get away with some crazy shit. Sure. I mean, he blends in really well. Everyone thinks he's, that's kind of the thing of the movie is everyone thinks it's just a part of the show, right? I mean, there's a, there's a scene where a girl comes running in screaming to the, the main group of, of kids that are going to the park and she runs in begging for help and, and screaming bloody murder. And they're like, Oh yeah, you're, this is really good. Great acting, you know, all sarcastic. And then she runs and hides and then the killer comes in stares them down and they're like, Oh, really scary. There, there, your girl went over that way and just rats her out and he goes and kills her right in front of them. And they're just like, Oh, crazy. Yeah. I mean, that was like kind of the first kind of kill that you, they see in this. I don't know if it's the first kill we, we see because in the beginning, uh, they talked about that the killer had been there, killed somebody, but the body wasn't found for like three days because everybody just kept thinking that that body was part of, the attraction, which I guess goes to show you how much money they put into their props and costumes and things like that. I, I think that's part of the fun, just like not knowing what is part of it and not part of it kind of Yeah, that's kind of adds the, the excitement. Selling point of the, the park, I'd I'd assume, right? Is you just kind of you don't know what's gonna happen and it's scary. Yeah, because like any like I know you haven't been to a lot of haunted houses, but usually there is some character in there who's yelling like, Help me, help me 
and they're like begging for their life. So I think it's like that kind of scene would be plausible, at least in the realm of what is possible. Sure. So real quick, um, an interesting thing that I didn't even think about, but we'll have to give away uh, one of our later movies or two of our later movies, I guess, Candyman. But uh, the the guy on the stage, there's a there's a scene, a attempted kill scene, where one of the friends, the annoying friend, um, goes on stage and is strapped to a guillotine, where the 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 killer assumes the identity of the executioner. Executioner, thank you. Yeah, and uh, but there's a there's a guy kind of announcing, kind of running the show, and that. Character is played by Tony Todd, who is Candyman. Candyman. <laughs> ba, 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 da, 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 candy. Okay. Well, we had we had a Candyman cameo in uh, in our traditional movie that we never even thought about. Yeah, I just I would have never even realized, but now that you pointed him out, I can see his face vividly, and I'm like, holy cow, that is yeah. it's, that is him. Well, we'd never seen Candyman. That's true. Um, any of them, so we didn't know that, but. Just a fun fact for you. No, I love that. And then, like, speaking of that scene, like, let's talk about that death. (laughs) Like, that guillotine scene is... uh, (laughs) The blade's too dull, so he drops it on her, but it just kind of cuts her neck a little, and then he goes to raise it back up, and she's able to escape before he can actually kill her. So she doesn't die from that. I think she ends up dying after that, but... (laughs) Yeah, it's just kind of funny because you're like, everybody like builds up to this moment of like, oh my gosh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and then it falls, and it's like, oh. Yeah. And then he's like struggling with the guillotine. It's kind of funny. So it makes it funnier too because one of my favorite parts of this movie is how stupid and goofy his mask is. Oh my God. Like, there's so many shots that are supposed to be so menacing from him standing in the distance, but the, the expression on his, he's got like a... Kind of like a, a leather face kind of mask on, but it, the expression is just. I wish we had pictures. Of, yeah, it's goofy. Video looking. so we could show it. It's just stupid. <laughs> it just makes it that much funnier that he's this big bad killer that they're all running from. But every time you see him pop around the corner in the distance or something, he's got this look on his face. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. And I keep going back to this point, and I don't know why I do, but I think just what I love about Hellfest so much is, again, for me, plausibility. But, like, that goofy mask is something you might pick up at, like, a Dollar Tree or something. And that that just, like, sells it for me of, like, this dude just loves killing. And, like, if you look at the the end of this movie, which he's just a normal guy with a kid, which is, like, the craziest thing. yeah, the ending. But he's just like, man, you know what? I need to just get some anger out. I'm going to go to this park, <laughs> fuck up some kids, blow dip up some out, steam and just be done. So, well, and then they, so the, the movie opens with him in a different mask. You find out at the end of the movie that it was the same guy, um, but he was in a different mask and he killed somebody else at Hellfest before. And I think they talk about that at some point where they say, Oh, there was a, another, you know, when, when it was somewhere else, they actually found a girl who was really murdered, but they, I don't know how the place is still running if they didn't solve that issue. <laughs> yeah. They give some backstory as to like all of that to kind of set the scene of the movie. And that's what we were talking about earlier. Where like, there was a body found, but it took three days to find it. Cause everybody oh, thought yeah. the body was a real prop. And this guy, he kind of does like trophies a little bit. Cause he has all of his masks and then he always grabs like a stuffed animal 
from Hellfest that he like brings to his kid. Mm-hmm. So I think they were trying Didn't to set have, up. He oh, had no. a picture thing too, right? He had a whole collection of other little trinkets too. Yeah. I think he was trying to show you that he had been doing this yeah. for a long time. And I think kind of the ending, and I don't know if it happens, I would totally see it, but if there was a sequel to Hellfest, I think I think that's what they were kind of setting up for of like, this could be another another story of one of his killings. So Sure. He's still out there and the main the main girl gets away. So you could easily have a another another meeting in the future. Yeah, and isn't that interesting with a lot of these horror movies that you have like this survivor that like the, the killer kind of returns back to cir- circulating around this person. Yeah, that is, I mean, I guess that's a horror movie. Cliche. Yeah, cliche. But I guess it's, I guess it's interesting in this one. Cause usually a lot of the times, like there's a reason why that person's being hunted. But I feel like in this movie, it was just by random chance that like they happen to like make eye contact and he's like, you know what? You're going to die. Well, so if you remember, I think he went after specifically people that, acted like they weren't scared. Didn't they also bump into each other in the beginning of the movie? Like they hit shoulders or something? I think so. But when they first see him at some point, the the main girl goes, she's like, Oh, you're not scary. You know, leave me alone. And, uh, and that's, they like zoom in on his face. And I think you're supposed to kind of see an expression of like, Oh, that, this is my next target. It's that stupid mask, but (laughs) That's the implication, I think. And if that is the case, that's awesome. You know, just insinuating like, oh, I'll give you a reason to be scared. (laughs) (laughs) But no, great movie. Uh, Looking forward to seeing it again next year. Yeah. And uh, a year is a perfect, perfect time between viewings, I think. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. But uh, let's jump into some movies we haven't seen then. Yeah. So Tuesday we watched Annabelle Creation. So Annabelle is the doll in the Conjuring universe. It's Ed and Lorraine Warren. I think that's it's based on a real thing, but uh, this is kind of the origin story of the doll. Yeah. So anybody who doesn't know anything about kind of, I guess the Conjuring, there is a scene where they have kind of a room of a bunch of like possessed items. One of which is this doll. And this is, like you said, the creation or origin story of the doll. Yeah, so a a quick synopsis. Twelve years after the tragic death of their little girl, a doll maker and his wife welcome a nun and several girls from a shattered orphanage into their home, where they become the target of the doll maker's possessed creation, Annabelle. So basically their daughter dies, and throughout the movie you find out that they kind of got tricked into welcoming a demon, which in this case is called the Ram, and they, they he tricks them into inviting them in to possess the doll, thinking that it was the spirit of their daughter. Yes, and for me, and might be a little bit of shocker to you, since especially since we've seen a lot of horror movies together, but... This is, I think, the second movie in the Conjuring universe that I've seen. So, oh, really? Uh I think you'll have a little bit more, I think, backstory about this whole universe than I will just because I've only seen a few of the movies. And I think uh, there's, at least from what we kind of read up on, there is uh, a lot of, I guess, ties to a lot of the other movies within this universe, which I think is interesting because these set of movies only kind of follow like a 30 year period or something like that. I think so. Um, I enjoy these. I like the original Conjuring movies, and I have enjoyed the spinoffs 
less. So I don't, I've seen the nun, which is another one in the series. I think I've seen the original Annabelle, but there's another Annabelle that's newer, um, which I apparently is the, the story of Ed and Lorraine Warren and their involvement with Annabelle. Cause everything that happens in the Annabelle movies is, is pre conjuring. Oh, even Annabelle is, I, I think they both take place before before the conjuring. So this might've been the events that led them to investigating the doll then. Right. The Annabelle movie. Right. Okay. Because the nut. So I don't know this universe. There's a lot in this universe that I didn't even know until kind of reading up on some stuff from this movie, because I saw a lot of things that I wanted to look into further that I thought that that looks familiar or that, you know, so I kind of looked up, looked further into it and uh, the nun is in this movie. The nun is is Valak, uh, is a demon that the the nun is the the original or the first in the timeline. I guess the movie the nun, and it's the oldest movie, and that takes place apparently like three years before Annabelle creation, before this movie. So they show the nun in this movie a few times, but the the sister sister Charlotte who is kind of running taking care of the girls in the orphanage at some point in the movie shows a picture of her and some other nuns and you see Valak in the background. And so sister Charlotte is not in the nun, but the way that it's intended is that I think, or there's at least a fan theory that sister Charlotte brought Valak to the doll maker's house. And she kind of came to release the Ram to the world. But you see, you see the same picture that sister Charlotte shows in Annabelle creation, you see that hanging on the wall apparently at some point in the nun. So I'd like to go back and watch that at some point in the future, but any of the movies that we haven't seen yet, now that we know this much about the universe, uh, it's all really interesting. And Bollock is a real like fallen angel in some lore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's like a real thing that existed and it's a, it's a him apparently, but he, he frequents the appearance of this nun. But I'm curious to see more of them. I know La Llorona is in the Conjuring universe. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, so I'm looking. I'm looking at the list right now. So uh, obviously, these movies came out in different orders. I think the Conjuring was the first to start it off. But in the yeah. timeline of events of these movies, The Nun dates back to 1952. Right. Annabelle creation in 58. Annabelle in 1970. Then The Conjuring happens in 71. Okay. Annabelle comes home 72, uh, which makes sense to kind of what you were saying is where. uh, Comes home. Yeah, that's the one. It comes back to her involvement with Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yep. And then the Curse of La Lorena, Conjuring 2 in 1977, then the Conjuring the Devil made me do it in 1981. Okay. But yeah, I mean, for someone who's only seen, I guess, The Conjuring 2 and Annabelle Creation, I thought this was... Oh, uh, you didn't even see the original Conjuring? I have not seen the original Conjuring, oh, no. Oh, man. I know. So that was something that was interesting to me because like, we were talking about trying to find a movie for more of a current, I guess, era of horror movie, which I think these definitely fall into like the last 10 years is when these have been released. Oh, sure. This is kind of a horror standard right now, I would say. Yeah, it was like either this or uh, or paranormal activity, essentially. Sure. So obviously, kind of I think the... this was more of a push to see this than <laughs> yeah. paranormal activity stuff. But 
No, I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, you mentioned like the nun makes an appearance. And when I thought back to it, I was like, oh yeah, when the nun like kind of gets possessed by the nun, right? V- Valak is what you said? Yeah, Valak. Yeah. Uh, she like pushes the girl in the wheelchair like through the barn. You see like that kind of embodiment. Yeah, you see her, her feet basically, just her walking, pushing the wheelchair. They show her then, they show her in the picture, and they show her some other time, I think. I think there was like three occurrences. So she's obviously a, a, plays a, a big role outside of just, you know, quick cameos in that story. And there's also, which is maybe reaching a little outside of the scope of talking about Annabelle creation, but it was something interesting I read, which makes me want to watch The Nun again because I think I've seen it twice and mm-hmm. I... I pretty much snoozed through much of most of it. I yeah. don't, I don't remember much of it. Um, but th- apparently they chose cause Vera Farmiga plays Lorraine Warren in the conjuring movies and her sister, Thaisa Farmiga plays the, I forget her name, sister something in the, in the nun. She's the main character of the nun. And apparently there's speculation that th- they chose them to play those characters as sisters because there is going to be at some point some relation. Oh, wow. Um, so obviously, I mean, Volok is is involved in the Warrens' lives. And I think the, the I don't know, Reddit has done a good job of this. I didn't dive too deep because it's, it's very in-depth. But the, the main character from The Nun, the main girl... Thaisa Farmiga's character. There's there's proof in the movie where she was born in the same place, and the, and I think that she is also a Warren, or she's somehow related. And so Valak is like a part of the, the Warrens for a while. Wow, I think, yeah, I mean, just everything you're saying, I think from what the directors have done with, I guess, these, I guess, select few movies, like it's pretty incredible kind of, all of the backstory and everything that they've like the history of this universe is just, it's really compelling. And I feel like we could have a whole probably episode on this. If we were to just watch all the movies in a row, Uh, just looking for some of those things that tie all the movies together. So, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot. I was saying, I think you even said like the ending because it didn't make sense to me, but it made sense to you. The ending of Annabelle creation pretty much is the start of Annabelle, right? Yes. So I, I thought that it was familiar. Uh, so I looked it up cause I, I couldn't quite remember. And that is like a direct, it leads directly into Annabelle. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'll be able to watch these movies unless it's part of our movie a day, just because <laughs> I don't know if I want to tackle an additional movie on top of the 365 we've already committed to. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, maybe uh, some of those newer ones, because they are definitely pushing them out. I think they're, oh, yeah. The Devil Made Me Do It came out this year, right? Yeah, earlier this year. I And I'm hoping, uh, I know James Wan only did the Conjuring movies, I believe. I think Anna, all the Annabelles and, and the... The Nun and La Llorona are other directors. Uh, I think he just produced them. So hopefully they continue to make them as fast as they are. But I know he moved on to uh, a movie that we unfortunately have already watched. So probably won't talk about in our podcast, but Malignant, which he kind of went a different direction with, which was awesome. Yeah, that Um, had some very mixed reviews and... I don't know. Maybe it will come up. Polarizing, I think. Yeah. Maybe it will come up in some conversations kind of throughout our podcast if we refer back to it. But Malignant was great. Yeah. Well, yeah. But uh, 
good conversation. We could definitely, like I said, there's a lot we could, we could talk about this for, I was going to say, there sounds like there's some that you haven't seen. So maybe we can add an additional Annabelle movie to our list and we can just, again, kind of go down the rabbit hole a little bit. Cause I think that's what makes part of this experience fun right now is we're doing a lot more research into the movies that we're watching just because we need to, we need to talk about them. So we Mm want to bring some interesting points to it. And I don't know, had I, you know, not been doing this podcast and I think probably the same for you, we would have gone down these rabbit holes to see all of these connections and ties into like the Annabelle universe and kind of what they've created. Oh, sure. Uh, With as many as I'd seen, I still, I had no idea how in depth all of the, the um, interconnections between all these movies, how, how extensive they were. So I'm definitely down to add more, add more to the list. So yeah, uh, that's but, something to look forward to, right? Yeah. If uh, we decide maybe down the road, maybe a good, you know Christmas time movie we can watch. <laughs> <laughs> Annabelle comes home. For yeah, Christmas. Annabelle comes home. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, so two starting off with two decent movies in the week, and then <laughs> Wednesday we hit a an interesting turn of events. Yeah, I think when we set up our list, this was definitely the movie both of us I think looked forward to the most. Yes. And then. After watching it, I feel like we kind of have some mixed feelings. Not to say that it was bad. It just, I don't know if it lived up to our expectation just because I think we might have hyped it a little too much. Yeah, I definitely, uh, so the movie is Psycho Goreman, or PG, as we'll refer to him from now on probably. Um, And yes, I, I had wanted to see this movie for quite a while. It was a good break in the week with all the horror. Um, It was definitely a different Different. It was definitely different. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it was just like our expectations for, I think, this movie were, I just, just what we saw versus High. what we wanted yeah. was very different as <laughs> sure. to how they approached the movie and the, what the trailers kind of led on as to how we thought this movie was going to be. Sure. But let's go ahead and start with a synopsis about it. Okay. Uh, so after unearthing a gem, the gem of... Paraxodyke. Yeah, I wasn't about to say that, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, I put that in there because I, I wanted to remember the name because, I don't know, it just stood out to me. I just thought it was, the, the names of everything in this movie is, are so elaborate. Oh, yeah. But anyway, continue. But yeah, so after unearthing the gem that controls an evil monster, PG, looking to destroy the universe, a young girl and her brother use it to make him do their bidding. <laughs> yep, that's that's pretty much the movie. Big, Which is, yeah. Big bad alien dude got... Uh, buried away for a long time and apparently to keep him away from the human race buried on earth they only needed to bury him like six feet in the backyard of these people's houses yeah the movie starts out and the kids are playing uh crazy ball crazy ball yeah which is a made-up game which will come back yeah plays off in the end (laughs) uh but they're playing crazy ball and what is it they like throw the ball and they just stumble upon (laughs) This like tomb of the PG. brother loses, and I somehow they don't really directly say, but his punishment was to dig his own grave. I think. Oh is what yeah, it was. yeah. So he's digging, and they 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 dig down into this case and find the gem that's containing this alien monster, whose whose real name is um, the Archduke of Nightmares. <laughs> Again, great name. Yeah, great name. <laughs> but yeah, so they find him. Well, they find the gem and he wakes up and then they discover that the gem controls him. He can't do his own thing unless 
they allow him to when so this girl Mimi, right? Yeah, uh Mimi and go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say this this girl Mimi and her brother, they're the ones who find the gem, and she is psychotic. She is she's a crazy girl. How old do you think they uh, are? I I would say she's like seven or eight, and her brother might be like ten. I, yeah. Maybe, couple years maybe older. A, maybe a little older, but yeah. Um and yeah, she is she's she's something. She's crazy. So for her to be in control of this this death machine uh makes for some funny stuff for sure. Yeah, I think the movie kind of plays out exactly as it sounds, right? You have kids in control of pretty much an indestructible killing machine when allowed to do so. But the kids being kids, like yeah, they're a doing lot of kid things. Yeah, a lot of things are very like forcing him to play crazy. Ball. I was gonna say, yeah, they take things personally as well. Where like PG was about to like offer him up to some of his minions, and she took it. it was like, oh, you're gonna kill me? Fine. Uh, then you're gonna die. And I don't know. It was it was fun. Yeah, I mean, she's just this bossy little girl, right? So it, it fits. It, it's funny to see her controlling this this monster. So what's interesting is both Scott and I like. We try to watch some of the movies together because, again, I think we just have a better time when we do watch them together. And there's some, you know, comments we make along the way that just, you know, accelerates some of these movies. But because we are watching a movie a day, we're watching them separate most of the time. And this is one of those movies that we both watch separate, but we both came to the same conclusion about, which I thought was really funny, was when we were watching this, we both just like in our minds kind of reverted back to being a kid and watching Power Rangers. Yeah. This and definitely had strong Power Ranger vibes. Just the way that I guess these villains kind of displayed themselves in this movie, the costume design, uh, monsters from space. I don't know. Everything was just like, it, it seemed like I was watching a gory version of a Power Rangers movie. And the, that was kind of fun. The costumes, the, everything was so over the top. The like fight choreography of that scene you were just talking about. Oh my where, gosh. So PG has some people he used to rule, I guess, or he used to be the leader of some group. And so when the intergalactic people, the Templars or whatever, I forget what they're called, but when they find out PG's alive, his group also finds out that he's alive. They come down to save him, or does he send word for him? I don't know. He anyway, sends word for him, yeah. They come to get him, or so he thinks, and they they basically reveal to him that they were the ones who kind of put him away before and turned on him, and how they want to make sure that he stays gone, that he doesn't come back. Because they so, kind of started a democracy amongst themselves. That yeah, they, they cut would, a deal with the Templars. Yeah, to, they would share their power, and every day uh, power, like the king or whatever, like they, oh yeah, they, they shared, shared the crown. The crown. They, they, one of them was wearing a crown, and they're like, <laughs> "We rotate crowns." And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's super goofy, but they're all in these costumes of like classic Power Rangers villains. Like, I wish I could remember names of any of them. It's been so long since I've seen any of those. But um, just really bulky, goofy costumes and armor, and then they they start attacking him, and the metal music kicks on, and they're just like. Are circling around him, kicking him and punching him and yelling at him. And one of them just shoots blood out of a tube. And even the two kids just stand there unamused as they're just kind of whacking him with sticks and like yeah, they're not it, doing anything. It's the goofiest thing. It definitely shows like why he was in a position of power and these guys oh, yeah. weren't because, yeah. like, again, indestructible, just killing balls. machine versus like 
Go, go get him. Let's kick him in the stomach. Ah. <laughs> yeah, spray him down with some stuff. Whack we'll him get with a him. Stick. So then when finally uh, Mimi pretty much forces uh, PG to apologize to her in an authentic apology, yeah. she's like, all right, fine. You can fight back now. Fights over in like five seconds. Oh, yeah. He, just he, he slaughters him. Decimates him. <laughs> and then uh, this, this was a fun part, too, when he's like, oh, you've died honorably. Or no, you fought honorably. Uh, you're going to die a warrior's death, and everybody freaks out about the warrior's <laughs> death because essentially he just like unhinges his jaw and then just swallows them whole. Yeah, and that's the most honorable way to go. But every time it, it comes back in the movie where he says, "Oh, you, you, you fought honorably. I will allow you a warrior's death," and they're all, "No, no, yeah, don't it's like do the it, worst no. thing. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So this movie kind of culminates, though, with this game of Crazy Ball, which was kind of a nice tie back to the beginning of the film and as kind of it, because one of the Templars comes down. Uh, what's her name? Pandora or something? Pandora comes down. She's been, she pretty much took the form of a human at one point, but then she reveals herself as this Power Ranger villain, uh, all white with these kind of wings and things. And uh, she's pretty much... Gives uh, PG a chance to what fight for his honor? Essentially, is that what you would say? Yeah, she. I think there's some rule for the Templars or something. He he mentions that he's like, oh, if you're gonna finish me off, then allow me to to fight back and choose my battle or something. So he decides to choose the battle of, of course, Crazy Ball, <laughs> which just again, crazy game with a thousand rules. Yeah, rules. It's Mimi made up the whole game pretty much is what it seems like. Because, yeah, again, kids are running this entire show and it's from the perception of these kids and uh, it was just a good tie to everything and then, you know, Pandora ends up dying to the, the warrior's death because she fought honorably <laughs> in Crazy Ball. But, yeah, it was a, just a good, fun way to end the movie because the rest of it was just absolutely ridiculous too. Yeah, I think... The further it's one of those movies where the further out I get from having seen it and talk about it with people, the more I, the more fond I become of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, like, at least in my opinion, I would have just preferred more of, I guess, an R rated world that they lived in. Cause obviously, like, the gore was pushing it for sure. Like, yeah. I mean, but, it's goofy gore, though. Yeah. That's true. But, so it kind of reminded yeah, I mean, me of like, Frig. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of reminded me of like a '90s commercial, like a like <laughs> yeah, the gore, yeah, like a slime, exactly, like a, like a uh, action figure commercial or something. Where yeah, they're, they're like throwing them in a pool and everything splashing. And it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if like it's kind of funny because when I teach about commercials, every now and then a kid will stumble upon. I think it's called the like the most '90s commercial ever or something, but it's a fan made commercial. But it kind of plays into like this giant gore fest. <laughs> where they're all sitting around the table and they're talking about wanting to play football. And then they, they drink this drink that morphs them together and they like fly to the park. But when they come out of the morph, they're all like morphed together and they're like <laughs> bleeding and ooze and everything. And then just start slaughtering all these children in the park. Uh, I'm going to have to look this Yeah. Up. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, but I, I got those vibes from this movie for sure. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I don't know. It's just so over the top. Oh, one of my one of my favorite scenes was the dads. You remember the dads on the toilet? Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> dads on the sitting on the toilet that he's taking a crap in the bathroom, and it was right after the the fight, the battle scene we just talked about, where they're all wailing on him, and then he slaughters them. But he gets injured, 
And this is like right before the, the climax of the movie. Um, and so he, he appears to the dad on the toilet as like a premonition, like this glowing, burning skull head of PG's face comes in and he's just screaming at the top of it. Oh, find me or you all die. Oh. And the dad's sitting there screaming cause he's scared the shit out of him. And he literally. like gets up and pulls his, yeah, literally <laughs> pulls his pants up, falls over in the bathtub. PG's just, his just floating head is just screaming at him and then disappears He's like, okay, but I don't. How am I supposed to find you? And then the head reappears, and he's yelling at him, and he's telling him where to where he is, and oh, find me, pretty find much like me. Google Maps directions of like, <laughs> yeah, that was that was great. That was probably my favorite scene. I was cracking up. No, that was really good, and I I think that came right after too of like the dad got chewed out by the mom for being lazy and never oh, doing yeah. anything. <laughs> so then when he goes and picks up PG, he's like, "Do you think I'm lazy?" <laughs> PG, do you think I'm lazy? So it was yeah, good. it was goofy stuff. A lot of good ties, things like that. Uh, do you want to play that fridge song that was mentioned in your notes? Uh, no, I was just gonna talk about it. How that was the the thing. I mean, oh, I kind of okay. said they say frig. I didn't know. If was you had, I, was say. I didn't know if you had looped it. So no, no frig off, freak you, freak yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's the song. You're not the boss. Don't tell me what to do. Like this, it's great. Anyway, that was fun. That was a good. Uh, that was a good Wednesday movie. That yeah, was a good hump. It didn't like live up to our expectation, but I think we both found some really good enjoyment out I of th- it. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think the further out I get, the more we talk about it. I, I would, I would recommend it. It's just fun and dumb, and I don't know. And compared to our it's next good. movie, it's just oh, it's goodness. no <laughs> night and day with these two because our next movie, uh, Veronica. Oh uh, man, what a what a on to Thursday. I don't even off know of what that to say high. Yet. <laughs> off of riding those first three movies, then we hit this our yeah. our cult movie, which uh, Entertainment Weekly said that it was an instant cult classic. Which I guess I could see this probably becoming one of those like The Room or something potentially in a in a long time, like in twenty years or something. They'll start showing it at at indie theaters and and you can throw stuff at the screen and. But, I, but I here's think the thing, though. Like, it's too boring toward the end. I say, here's the thing, though. I've seen The Room. I've seen Troll 2. I've seen a lot of these, like, really good, bad movies, cult movies, right? This just has none of those elements for me. This one's just, it was too sexy for you, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, dude. That spider <laughs> got my wheels turning, oh, Scott. Man. All right, real quick. So, <laughs> Veronica is a, a film by Glenn Danzig, written, directed, produced, Probably everything but funded. starred. He did the <laughs> he did the soundtrack, which there's some good there's some good music in it. But um, man, what? So it follows the surreal and bloody trilogy of an erotic horror stories called from Danzig's comic. So it was based on a comic that has been around a while. I think there's like 15 issues or something, and. It says, stories which focus on horror content that's often sexual and violent in nature, usually featuring scantily clad female protagonists. All of which are porn stars. And that about sums it up. Yes. So I'd, I'd wager 90 plus percent of the, the people in this movie are porn stars. Oh, 100. I, I wanted, I'd go as far as 100 percent, but don't quote me. I, I mean, maybe some maybe some <laughs> friends of his. <laughs> thrown in but uh, yeah probably most of them porn stars just i don't even know where to start man i think 
watching this movie, I felt like I was watching a bad adaptation of like a freshman year college student making a film. Making a porno? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm sure there's some symbolicness to everyone being naked and girls having eyes for oh god nipples yeah. and okay i th- i feel like we have to kind of take this um chronologically <laughs> yeah well, let's start with the first story then oh my goodness so uh the first story follows a a young woman who has eyeballs for nipples that cries her 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 <laughs> She's essentially trying to cry. get it. She's trying to get it on with a guy. Yeah. And the guy is trying to take off her shirt and she's like, no, don't do it. He's don't do it. Disgusted and scared. And he runs away. She's got eyes on her tits. So she, she starts <laughs> crying out of her boobs. Cries onto a French spider. So this whole play, this whole thing, the whole first story <laughs> is supposed to take place in France, according to Glenn Danzig. I read in an article. Don't quote me on anything from <laughs> this section of the show. But um everyone puts on just some of the best french accents i've ever heard and if you didn't catch the sarcasm he'll say it again (laughs) some of the best french accents hold on yeah here's a clip madame we are closing would you like another refill (laughs) that that was a, a particular favorite scene of mine which he shortly follows that talking about. So, so this spider turns into a, a man with three sets of arms, and it's uh, I not, guess legs count. So yeah. that would be four sets. So a spider has eight it legs. Is a spider, okay, yeah. all, right, all right. I'm not going to knock the the tech, technical details. Yeah, it stands on two feet, has three sets of arms, and it's not something that you've seen by Marvel. No, yes, not <laughs> spider hyphen man. <laughs> he is a spider man. A man spider? Let's call him a man a spider. Man that spider. seems we'll call much man better. Spider. Man spider, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a uh, 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 man spider who rapes and kills people only when the the protagonist falls asleep. And, man, some of the encounters that he has, he finds a, a nice girl on the street. Is this, <laughs> when, he's, a is this when he's, like, hiding in the alleyway? Yeah, he's in the alleyway, and yeah. he, she, like, she's smoking a cigarette standing there. And says, uh, "Oh, you want a date?" And he's like, "No, uh, I don't. A date is not what I had in mind." <laughs> <laughs> it's literally how he talks. You could probably, we probably find a clip, and it would be you wouldn't even know the difference between me and him. That's how good of an impression I just did. It's because Scott never went to acting school. <laughs> that's why exactly. That's, that's why, why I'm doing it's so on well. par. Yeah. <laughs> I am not qualified to do well, so it's I'm perfect. <laughs> I'm perfect for the job. You're going to be in his next set of movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, he says he's like, "Oh, date is not what I had in mind." And then goes into graphic detail about bending her over right there in front of him <laughs> and putting it in her butt, to which her response is, "As fuck is my speciality." and that's pretty much how this whole movie goes i mean gosh oh man but they refer to him as the neck breaker yes and that's another quote from the the clip earlier the guy asking if she wants another refill um and uh just the way he says neck breaker is my favorite the neck breaker neck breaker neck breaker (laughs) it's so funny 
But anyway, I, I, I don't even know if it's worth going into anymore. That's pretty much it. I was going to say, like... <laughs> That's the whole story. I'd say, like, I was, I was out of it within probably the first minute. Just because, I don't know. Because it... You it's, weren't it's, entertained? <laughs> were you not entertained? <laughs> um, yeah, I... I because it's narrated, isn't it? Like there's somebody like telling. Um, she has a girl like chained up, and she's telling these stories. It's to, narrated. And then what it, would like, you call that? It's like in between the stories. The stories themselves aren't don't have like voiceover as you know narration throughout. It's kind of like the Goosebumps movies, right? Where you have like somebody kind oh, of. Oh man, it's been a long time. Oh, so I'd maybe, imagine. Maybe we don't go down that route. I don't actually know. I don't want to compare Verona to Goosebumps <laughs> ever. So a, a, uh, nope. Nope, nope. <laughs> a highly sexualized, <laughs> um, low budget horror something versus a, a children's. Okay, let's talk about low budget here. Show. I don't even know if I'm going to talk about plot anymore, just because I feel like there's other. You want to talk about the face girl who steals the faces, or the queen that basically just rubs blood on herself for, for like forty five minutes? Forty five minutes. That's well, that- the whole third third second, the longest and most grueling to watch was the third one. Well, that's what I was going to talk about. Is like. I feel because he, Glenn Danzig, had so much invested in this, right? Yeah. And he directed it, he filmed it, he scored it, all of these things, right? Sure. I just feel he had so much passion in the project that he wasn't willing to cut anything out. Oh, yeah. Like, these shots went on forever. And I just feel like he was so, he had so much passion for his project that everything he filmed, he just thought was absolute gold. Well, and you noticed a lot that like, like the script seemed like it ended and then he wanted more. Oh yeah. There's so many times where I, my only thought was these poor quote unquote actors, (laughs) (laughs) these poor performers, whatever you want to call them. Um, just had no idea what to do. And you could just sense that they, I think a couple times, some of them even looked directly into the camera, like looking at Glenn behind the camera, like, what do I, what do I do now? Are we done? Is he going to call cut? Are we, what do I do? And he just gives them the look of more, give me more. Yeah. Improv was not the specialty in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It was, it was crazy. It's crazy, man. Here, real quick. I forgot about this. I queued this up. You okay. don't know about this. Okay. Mitch doesn't know about this. I don't know about this. This is from our our pre-recording, our pre-show, if you will. Oh, here I have go. a clip of him talking about uh, Veronica, exclaiming that it was it's just weird shit. <laughs> it is just <laughs> weird shit. Something Mitch said about Veronica. That you were saying it's just scenes go on so long and and it's just it's just weird shit. It yeah. I had to I had to clip that. It was just it's the perfect summary of this movie. And yeah, I don't really know how much left there is to talk about it because it <laughs> no, there isn't much. And maybe because it is just weird shit. Maybe it will become that cult movie just because there's just so much to unwind and to. I don't know, have fun with oh, or make fun of. I don't know. I'm not trying to insult anybody here, but yeah, it was, it was a, a weird movie. There, there's a scene where the main girl from the first story goes into like a, like a triple X theater and sits down. There's like three dudes creeping on her in there. And they're in there in the porn theater and she falls asleep. And so the spider dude, man, man spider comes alive and, and it, she's like, 
it's showing them the three dudes in the theater coming up and like touching her and like they're gonna they're gonna rape her or something. It's it's so weird and uncomfortable. And then they cut to Man Spider banging some chick, getting super pissed off and yelling, "No, don't wake up yet." And then they cut back to her. And she wakes up in the theater and then walks away. And I think one of the guys is like, hey, come back here. And she just walks out. Of it. It's just bizarre, dude. It's, I don't know. It's I think not you even just have like, to end it at that. Yeah, it's just bizarre. It. It's just bizarre. It's just bizarre. So Friday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Veronica. I don't, I don't, don't recommend it. See, I, we've, we've talked to, a little bit now that we're not trying to recommend stuff. I would not recommend it. And we've already recommended a movie and now not recommending a movie. So however you want to approach it, that's screw up to the you. rules. <laughs> yeah, screw there are no rules. This is our show. Yeah, okay. Friday. Yeah, really moving on to Friday, which was um a very fascinating bounce back. I was gonna say pleasant not pleasant. I, I knew what to expect from this movie, not because I've seen it, because I haven't, but just because it's, the time period. No, more of just like, I think it is renowned as a classic for a reason, right? Oh, sure. People refer to Nosferatu as a classic horror movie, and there's good reason behind it, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Sure. So Nosferatu, 1922 German silent film. It's a, an adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I have actually read. Um, there's some interesting deviations from the book. The, the movie does okay uh, i find that interesting we'll talk about that later but basically the the synopsis of the movie is vampire count orlock expresses interest in a new residence and real estate agent hutter's wife it's short but i mean how long is the book Ooh, i don't know or has it been just that long since you read it because i haven't read the book i haven't read it in a while it's been a while okay i read it a long time ago but um i do remember remember it i mean it was they changed names of everyone, and then the ending is is drastically different. But most of the key points are are there. So I guess like so, I teach a unit uh, on silent films in my class, right? Um, so something interesting about this is like I guess you have to kind of I'd, I'd say separate like American film and German films at least at, in this time period as to like what adaptations were. Cause this is from a German expressionism like movement. Okay. So German expression, German expressionism film is essentially filmmakers using visual distortion and hyper expressive performance to show inner turmoils, fears and desires of that era. So okay. this yeah. was almost like a, a depiction of what life maybe like to the darkest extent was in people's mind. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Versus, like, when you think of, like, American silent film era, you're thinking Charlie Chaplin, more comedy, comedy. Yeah, yeah. more. Right. And it's not until, like, the film noir movement that America started to, like, depict Got more dark. the darker tone of sure. things. Yeah. But that was more around, the like, the World War II era. And that's okay, obviously yeah. because America was in, like, Great Depression and stuff, so. Interesting. Yeah. That, I mean, that's... It was interesting to me that there there was, I don't know, I guess that's the only clips and only thing I've seen of silent movies has been like Charlie Chaplin kind of thing. And so this being a serious story and not really having, I mean, there's there's a few counts of, of kind of goofy humor 
you know, mm-hmm. over physical comedy kind of thing. But I don't know. It was interesting. It's interesting to see how much context you do actually pick up just from watching, you know? Yeah. And I think my biggest takeaway, and it's something that it's, it's hard to kind of comprehend just as not many people can think of like what a hundred years actually is because very few, very few people actually live, I guess, past a hundred. Right. Sure. But this film came out 99 years ago, almost a hundred years ago, which is just incredible to see obviously like how much, you know, cinematography has changed over time, but also the fact of just like kind of the early stages of cinematography and where it was. And I was just kind of, I don't know, blown away watching it, just seeing some of like the visual and. Oh, sure. I don't don't know if I'd call it special effects, but like effects. Yeah. Just effects of some sort that went into making this movie. Cause there was just some amazing scenes that obviously like today with the technology we have, super easy to do but for the time the period time, yeah. i couldn't imagine trying to like rotoscope out a character using film and cuts and i don't know it was it was pretty incredible uh just with all sorts of different things that i saw throughout the film yeah i mean i one thing that stood out to me was their the use of color for time of day mm-hmm. because it's all i mean it's obviously not in color it's black and white it was in the 20s and uh and and kind of giving things and i don't know if they did this at the time i don't know if this is a remaster thing where they gave a a wider color gradient yeah to kind of depict that because there's some oranges and yellows and things and i'm not sure if the original and viewing it you know when it came out was actually just black and white but the use of like negative for nighttime and landscapes and it it works, right? That's what's what's interesting is in the time. I mean, the whole movie has a has a pretty heavy vignette over it. Oh yeah, um, but that kind of muddying the the picture kind of adds to being able to portray what you're trying to portray, right? Like like viewing a carriage driving across a landscape in negative. It looks like nighttime. Yeah, like they definitely works. sell the effect for sure of you know, giving you a depiction of time during it, uh, whether it's, you know, day or night, kind of as you were talking about. And then a little history about things, but all of the kind of titles you see in that film, those are called intertitles. Okay. Uh, and those are just kind of the way that they were able to uh, obviously give dialogue or context to a scene because there was no sound available. Sure. So a lot of these films back in... Uh, the 1920s would be shown at a theater still, but because they didn't have a way to record sound at that time, uh, usually these films would be played with like a live orchestra, which was pretty cool. So people would show up and there'd be a live orchestra to kind of give the score of the movie as it plays in real time. Then the inner titles giving context as to what the characters are saying, doing things like that. And that's how uh, the movie experience was. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Cause I mean, you definitely, it almost goes unnoticed in this, but it's such a huge part of the emotions in certain scenes and the, the suspense. And if it's just images, right, yep. you, you, you see what's going on, but you kind of don't. And that's probably the intention is to not be like, man, that, that score stands out, but for it to invoke the 
feeling the yeah the emotion that it it's trying to without you noticing right i mean you feel hurried when they're you know things are happening in the, in the movie that you know you're you're supposed to feel suspense you're supposed to feel sad you're supposed to feel excited and you don't you don't really consciously notice the score but it is a is a whole orchestra and that's i mean they're driving that yeah and i think that's kind of like why a score is so important to movies even today oh sure and back then just because like so much emotion can be almost forced upon you because we are almost deceptive to hearing certain sounds and you know feeling a certain way when we hear uh you know those notes being played so absolutely some some interesting things i i found out so this was because in Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, vampires only are weakened by sunlight. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't they don't disappear or burst into flames as the the modern day how we you know view vampires okay. how they're depicted. This was actually the first movie to show a vampire dying from sunlight exposure, and that's that so scene that I was scene, kind of referring yeah, to that's earlier. A, that's a crazy scene for thinking of the time period. Because essentially, it's almost like a blank plate shown and then you can kind of see the dissolve effect happen Mm -hmm. uh as you know he pretty much vanishes in the daylight uh and that was one of the scenes just that caught my eye just for visual effects purposes of just trying to think of holy cow how how did they even do that yeah you know yeah with the technology at the time so i mean this definitely i think set the standard for what filmmaking was back then i it's uh it's, it's well, the the director is notable. Uh, I don't have points for this. I just remember looking some stuff up, and he did quite a few things. He he came to Hollywood at some point. He was a German expressionist director, mm-hmm. um, and came and did a whole lot of other stuff. Yeah, Murnau. Um, look up other stuff he did. He did some things we, I think I recognized anyway. He's got a, he's got an interesting history. If, if anyone's interested in looking into it, it's F W Murnau, M U R N A U. I should have mentioned this with, uh, intertitles. Uh, but I think it's just crazy that this is one of the earliest adaptations of a book movie. I just can't think, I, I can't, can't imagine the challenge it was to have an adaptation of a book and still carrying on the same story because there's yeah. so much imagination that can be had when reading a book oh, yeah. versus well, a book is all, all detail, right? Mm-hmm. It's all text. So I think that's just what made this movie just, you know, so incredible to bring that story to life while being at, you know, the hindrance of not being able to talk on and carry a conversation and just all the importance of like we mentioned the score and the mm-hmm. inner titles and everything. So yeah, we've we've come a long way. We have come a very <laughs> long way. Um, one more one more interesting thing to add. So Prana Film Production Company is who produced this movie, and so at the beginning of this, it shows because this is a remaster that I think was done in the seventies or nineties or somewhere more recent. I think there's probably been a few actually remasters. I feel well, I'm like, sure, but the yeah. the version that we watched. They say at the beginning that they pulled certain things. That were, the intertitles were from something else, and then 
Um, certain footage, I think they, they padded from like the nine, a 1933 or 35 version of this movie or something that came out. Um, and I think the, the story behind that is the, the production company Prana was, was sued by Bram Stoker's widow. So interesting stuff. Bram Stoker actually did a, I don't remember if it was a film or a play or something of Dracula just to solidify the rights to that, that media. Wow. Um, so the, the, they actually, his, after he died, his widow actually sued and won and Prana had to destroy all copies of the film, but one version or one copy had been distributed worldwide. So it, it lived on, uh, which is why we're seeing this version today. But I think that has something to do with why they had to, there's some missing footage things and, things and yeah. Things, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Pretty interesting. That Bram Stoker. <laughs> oh, you naughty. <laughs> no, no, no. This is not for <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Let's not revisit that. Uh, I just, my last thing, and I don't know why I thought of this, but I just think of like early film. So then I think back to like the first, I guess, kind of official film. Uh, but essentially there was this guy named Edward Moybridge back in 1873 and he had a bet with one of his buddies about if a horse when it ran around a track if it took all four of its hooves off of the ground uh when it ran or if it kept a few of those hooves on the ground as it ran so they these guys had a bet where essentially uh they had to set up a series of cameras along the track take a bunch of pictures of it and then stitch those together to see if the horse indeed brought all of its hooves off or kept them on the ground as it ran. And when you play a series of images fast enough, you create what's been coined a motion picture. And that's why movies exist. So last little tidbit before we, we need a little, uh, a little soundbite of like Mitch's teaching corner. Ah. (laughs) We'll see how often that comes up. (laughs) No, that was good. That's cool. So uh, I think, I, we talked about this a little before, just when we were talking on our own, but, um, and we'll wrap up Nosferatu now, cause we've been talking yeah. about this for a while, but, um, I thought it was interesting too the fidelity of some of the, the landscape shots and the shots of, of like the city, like London and some of the shots, how well they looked. And I don't know, I, I know that they do upscaling mm-hmm. and there's, you know, they use AI for that. But uh, I also didn't think about until you had said that they probably just used stills and just did exactly what you just said they did with the horse, right? And they took and they just kind of laid them to to give the appearance of of aliveness, right? Mm-hmm. Motion. But they were really just pictures, which is why they looked so good versus, I mean, I, there's no way a camera would have captured some of the details and some of the, the landscape shots. Yeah, and I, I, I think obviously, think. like, you know, a lot of landscape stuff is usually a time lapse, too, and I just don't think they had the storage space to be able to, oh, you know, yeah. capture that much footage over a series of time and then be able to speed it up the way we can today, you know? Yeah. So I, I would imagine, like, those were definitely kind of playing into that whole motion picture thing. Sure. I guess the last thing is, do you know how many frames uh, per second if a typical movie is shot in a lot of people think it's a lot higher, but it's only 24, 24. frames per, 24 yeah, okay. frames per second. 
So every second of time, you have 24 individual snapshots that make up that second, and that's where we get Well, and that's movies. what, when they do slow-mo and stuff, right? That was the whole thing with, I think we talked about it with like Gemini Man. Yeah, so slow motion, right? You record at a higher record frame higher rate and, so that you can slow it down like 400% if you're shooting, you know, let's say 100 frames per second. It matches that, you know, 24 frames per second. Uh, and that's what creates that nice, vivid, you slow know, slow motion. Yeah. Or like if you go to a YouTube channel and it streams slow motion, you're looking over a thousand frames per second, which really gives you all the detail. Mm-hmm. So just another little tidbit before we move on here. The, the evolution of cinema. Oh my gosh. Discussing Incredible. <laughs> but yeah, so Saturday and Sunday... Two other interesting. I don't know if we're going to be as as uh, learning as much, but I feel like we both learned though, because we both thought we were watching what was going to be a remake, a remake of Candyman, and it turned out to be a sequel. <laughs> yeah. So Saturday we watched Candyman nineteen ninety two. Yep. And Sunday we watched the the new Candyman from this year, and we we had been led to believe somehow. I'm not sure. I guess we just. Assumed. Spaced and assumed and and thought that it was a, a reboot or a remake. And it uh, turns out it was a pretty direct sequel, which... I'm very happy that we ended up watching them in order. Absolutely, because with, we would have no idea from the new one some of the, the, the most interesting details of it. Yeah, and I think... I don't know if I would have watched the 1992 one had I not done this podcast. I might have just went to see the 2021 version thinking oh, sure. it was a direct remake of the 92. Sure. And I just would have missed out on so much. Yeah. We would have thought, cause I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say up front, I liked the 1992 movie more than the new one. I don't know how you feel. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I'm a little indifferent about it. Cause I think there was, I think good things about both that I yeah. liked and I just, we can get into it right now since we're into the weekend. Yeah. So Candyman 1992. The Candyman, a murderous soul with a hook for a hand, is accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching a monster's... Hey, can you say it again and make it rhyme? The Candyman, a murderous soul with a, a hook, hook for, for a hand. hand. See, it started to rhyme, right? Summoned and whole <laughs> to a... Land. To a... Grad student researching a myth. She ended up dying. Man, that's yeah shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not a poet. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? All right. Anyway. Oh my god, the rhyme! <laughs> I had to throw it in there, dude. This guy's spitting bars. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, friends, Candyman. Based on Clive Barker's The Forbidden short story, which is exactly the premise, pretty much, from what I saw, um, it's just expanded and turned into a movie. Wait, this is an adaptation of a story? Of a short story, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, crazy. Candyman I didn't know that. Is. It is, yeah. It's actually the the Helen story. So Helen is the grad student, Helen Lyle. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, the, the Forbidden, the, the short story, is, is basically exactly... The 1992 Candyman. Nice. Um, I think locales were changed. I think it, I think Clive Barker's from the UK, so I think it was it took place somewhere else, not in the US. But the director of Candyman uh, wanted to adapt it for Cabrini Green, 
which was a, a real project complex in Chicago and one of the most notorious. And uh, that's been been updated now, gentrified, if you will, which is the kind of the theme of these movies, what these movies discuss. But yeah, I don't know, man. I, I enjoyed it. I don't think I thought too much into it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess a little, because I don't know. I think it did a good job of kind of, let's kind of talk about 2021 and 1992 together, because I think it will help our conversation a little bit. Just okay, because sure. like 2021, uh, Handyman, which we thought was a remake, which in fact is not a remake, essentially is following the events of what happened in the 1992 version, like 25, 30 years later, or something like that. Uh, so a sequel to the horror film Candyman that returns to the new or the now gentrified Chicago neighborhood where the legend began. So the story kind of starts off with you hear the legend uh, of the first movie and there's some kind of hearsay about our main character. Anthony is like, Oh, there's no way all of those events actually happened. And then we come to find out that Anthony is actually the baby from the first one. And if you had watched both in order, like we did, you could catch that aha moment pretty quickly. Yeah, into that the movie. was that was pretty cool. Once you figured that out, which we wouldn't have gotten if we hadn't seen the first one the day before. Um, so this worked out pretty good. But basically, what happens in the first one, a, a little more in depth, is Helen's doing the the grad thesis, her grad thesis on urban legends, and so specifically the Candyman. So she goes to Cabrini Green and kind of inadvertently summons the real Candyman. And so it turns into a, a little bit of a psychological thriller where the the Candyman is is framing her for the murder, uh, particularly of one small boy named Anthony McCoy, who's a protagonist of the new Candyman. And so the the movie ends in Helen uh, rescuing the boy uh, who was not dead; he was just being held by the Candyman. And so the, the whole building of Cabrini Green actually was, was grateful to her in the end, but the way the story carried on was that she was just a psychotic killer who killed the boy. And so Anthony doesn't know anything about his past, and that's where the, the new one picks up is he's introduced to the Candyman story um, and the, the myth of if you say his name five times in the mirror, he'll appear behind you and kill you. And he kind of dives into that. I don't know if this is the best time for this, but a little fun tidbit. So on Wheel of Fortune this week, one of the the crosswords was they had Candyman written out four times. Are you serious? Yeah. So the person who had to answer the puzzle said Candyman, <laughs> Candyman, 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 which was... Uh, <laughs> So they never made him say it the fifth time, but like they were definitely uh, airing on some <laughs> that's funny some crazy stuff. Like it, it, Twitter t- definitely blew up on that. That's kind of fun. But I mean, we've talked a lot about I guess the plot of the movie. Like, yeah. what do you feel about the two? Like, obviously, you said you liked the first one better. Like, wh- what do you feel in there? I think I did. I think I just kind of I love I like X Files, and I kind of got oh, X Files yeah. kind of vibes. You know, from an early '90s movie about a. It was more really of a nineties psychological thriller kind of Yeah, a lot I mean? of more investigating yeah. than kind of a more I, I liked that modern the, um, horror. Yeah, they kind of dropped that. I, I mean there were things in the new one that I did really like, but I think I think I was more confused. I think that's what makes it not be like, oh, I really enjoyed that was because 
it kind of lost me at some point and yeah. I was I was probably my fault for being the seventh movie that we watched mm-hmm. this week you know I mean we talk about that um I I just don't think I got the full story or I just didn't I didn't get some of it and I get that and I think it's because in because again we both were coming in thinking it might be a remake but I think because you have to distinguish it as a sequel right you have to throw in new plot elements to sure. distinguish the two movies, carry on something and not give people something that they've already seen before. Yeah. And they elaborate on certain points, but and, also you know, playing, add to you it. know, paying homage to the original 1992 version. So mm-hmm. I get it. I think with how far we've come in with technology and things like that, that I think they did such an excellent job in the 2021 version with just how they filmed some of those scenes. Absolutely. That, like, that was my, my really only my main big point that I wanted to talk about with the new one was some of the effects and the kills and they did some really cool stuff like the gallery, mm-hmm. the gallery scene where, so they, Anthony does a, a an art installment that's shown at a gallery that he kind of, he, it, it is a mirror and you open the mirror and then there's all Candyman images and things that he put behind the mirror, but he put the mirror, his, his whole spiel. Cause he's a, he's an artist. So there's a bit of a kind of a artist pompousness air mm-hmm. to a lot of the people around him and himself in the beginning or whatever. So he's talking about, Oh, I, you know, I, the mirror is to invite you to summon the Candyman yourself kind of thing. You know, it's this art installment. So one of the curators uh, after it all, it's all closed down and he's, he's locking up some in the candy man in the gallery and there's mirrors and things around in the gallery. And so you see the candy man doing stuff or you see him standing places only in the mirrors, but in real life you don't see him. So there's, they do some really cool reflection stuff with. Yeah. The imagery was really good. And then just anytime you're doing anything with mirrors, like it's, it's so difficult to film oh, because sure. you have to hide the camera and the production crew. And sometimes there's a lot of masking and, you know, rotoscoping things out. I mean, it was just incredible. Well, even just the bees, bees are shown all the time and they're, they're mostly on the other side of the mirror. So they do some really cool shots where there's like a bee flying around, but it lands on the mirror, but it's only on the opposite side. But I would just say, yeah, this is a good, nice surprise. Uh, I think for, I would say both of us just again thinking this was going to be a remake and then it turning out to be a sequel. Sure. And something that again, I don't know if either of us would have maybe watched the 92 version had we not been doing this. Yeah, I mean I I'd never seen I think there's like two or three other movies kind of playing Candyman, in the same timeline. Sequels, Candyman, something and obviously we didn't even know the new one was a sequel, so I'm not going to comment on what I assume any of those are but um but i'm kind of interested in watching them and seeing what where else they go with it you know yeah i think this is kind of becoming that and we mentioned it but that annabelle universe i think a lot of horrors uh movies at least franchises uh, everything now is it is it some universe yeah, yeah and there's just you know people who kind of fall in love with these movies can definitely you there's know more to look into yeah there's something to keep your interest outside of the movie and research and yeah, they definitely, uh, you know, they, they create it for the fans, which is really nice that, you know, these movies aren't just being made for the money. Obviously, that's a big part of it, but there's still like a love and a passion for, you know, giving the people who support you what they want to see. So, sure. But we've wrapped up seven movies. You know, how are you feeling about this first week? It wasn't bad. It wasn't as crazy as I thought it would be. Yeah, I think, you know, having to... 
again, manage your life, manage your job, all of these things, and then throw in another movie a day. I thought it might be more of a commitment. It's early and we're still enthusiastic about it. So yeah, I'm just saying though, I I thought it would be more of a challenge to try to add a movie into my day every day, but it seemed like it wasn't too bad. Again, I could see it as you know, maybe weeds get busier, things start to pick up. I, I it might get more challenging, but as of right now, I, I'm feeling good about everything. Yeah, as am I. And I mean, I, I did mention earlier, perhaps my viewing of Candyman 2021 was tainted by the fact that it was the seventh movie, you know, in a row. And so, continuing, I'm interested to see next week when we talk about this. You know, how seven more movies on top of this kind of compounds how we're feeling. Oh, a hundred percent. Just because, you know, I think the hard part for me coming in today was just trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about because, you know, we watched almost 12 hours worth of movies this week and then trying to figure out what pieces are important, what's not important to talk about. And then just having all of that knowledge in your head and just like, you know, separating it. it, It's, it's, it's been interesting. Yeah. Sitting on, sitting on the early movies. I mean, Hellfest was easy because we've seen it so many times, but you know, usually when we when we sit down and talk about movies, you and I, it's right after we've watched them, right? Or we watch them together. That's another thing I wanted to say too is is different about us doing this is usually, you know, like we, we've probably mentioned, we like watching movies. Um, we would consider ourselves movie buffs, but we watch them together and we talk about them together. Yeah, and now no. having to watch one a day to fit that into our schedule, we're not getting together every day. So watching them separate, I'm I'm curious to see down the road how that affects certain viewing experiences like Psycho Gorman, mm-hmm. right? We both kind of watched them separately. And I think both of us kind of felt similarly on it when we first started talking about it. But then we get into this and I had nothing but positive things to say about it when you and I are talking about it. And it, I just remember it being fun, you know? Yeah, and a lot of the movies we you say we see, like you mentioned, like we usually have a pretty in depth conversation about immediately afterwards, and mm-hmm. then if anything comes to mind, we even mention that later on. So having like seven movies worth of yeah, just, you know things we want to talk about, up. right, and then not seeing each other until the end of the week for the podcast, like yeah, yeah, there's a lot to get out. So I'm interested to see just kind of through this journey, just what are we going to talk about? Cause <laughs> yeah. there's just like, again, there's so much to choose from so yeah. much to talk. And at what point do we, do we start hitting? Uh, I don't remember what we watched anymore. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> We're only a weekend Scott. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm, uh, I'm making a prediction. Two months, two months. We start feeling the effects. All right. I'm gonna call it now. You heard it here first. Heard it here, <laughs> heard it here first. <laughs> But uh, I think that about wraps up our time this week. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, don't forget to check out when our new episode drops. Uh, our social media handle is at NDNM Podcast. That's Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, and you can find a little kind of infographic talking about what movies we are going to uh, discuss for the week, as well as any other kind of important information we will try to post regularly there. We are on a, a week delay of when we record and watch. So we, at some point, will probably be checking if anyone has recommendations. Um, you can you can send it on our Instagram or Twitter, and maybe we'll throw those movies in and talk about them. But yeah, uh, either way, thanks for joining us this week, and we hope to catch you next week. Bye! Bye.
Halloween. Thanks for listening to the NDNM podcast.